This is Snakes and Otters, a pointless discussion of eternal questions. Get ready. We're about to live in your head rent-free. This is episode 206. I am Martin. And I'm Robert. And I'm Francis. And I'm Marcus. And I'm Cajun. Well, boys, we're all back together again. Uh, this is Francis in the captain's chair this time. Special treat this episode for our history episode. I don't know why we never did this before because it's such an obvious well, thing. We have danced around it. In, we have danced in, around in, it uh, a lot. We're we have t- done a a show on this topic. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah we exactly. just haven't delved deep into this aspect. Exactly. We're going to go with the history of bourbon. Really? Seriously? Uh we are we ourselves are amateur aficionados. I'd like to say that. I'm certainly we're certainly not in the industry, but we're surrounded by the industry where we live and uh where we grew up and uh some of us and uh there's just a lot of stuff as we've been kind of kicking around different ideas. This one kind of floated to the top saying, Why don't we do this? Actually it was Cajun's the one who came up with the idea. And even more so since we're in Studio C out here on the ranch, right in the middle of Nelson County. That's exactly right. In we the are holy in land. bourbon in country the holy land. as we record this. You know, it's literally uh, bourbon seeds are all around us, as Cajun would say, uh, that will that uh, will be uh, used in future uh, uh, future distilling operations. That's right. I mean, bourbon is a vegetable by law. It is fifty one percent corn. That's exactly right. Very good. That's good a, point. That's a very slick way of putting that little factoid in there, and sir. Bourbon is a you can drink your vegetables in and still be healthy. Exactly. Well, I don't know about the last part, but you know, <laughs> we can drink our vegetables. Hey, it's a cure all. You know, very true. Little very column true. A, little column B. That's right. Yeah. I mean, we're literally on the back side of the log steel distillery uh, uh, complex here. That is correct. Uh, we, the ranch we, backs right up to their property right, line. You can walk and the that is a very fine facility. Uh, I, I look forward to one day doing the tour there, but just going into their little uh, tasting, tasting bar. Yeah, uh, the tasting room, the little bar there. Yeah, that they have, uh, was uh, phenomenal uh, uh, when we did that several months ago now, but uh, uh, very nice facility there. Gorgeous, gorgeous. Yeah. Big congrats to, to Wally Dan on yeah, and, and for, for making that. And we'll talk a little bit about the history of that place uh, because it, it touches in my family history a little bit. That's one of the reasons Cajun said, why don't you do this, Captain, this one? I said, okay, we can we can do that. But uh, bourbon's been around for a long, long time. But mm-hmm. to be honest, it took it to get to Kentucky to get perfected. Is that a fair statement, guys? Uh, to a degree, I, yes. I, I mean, the climate here, the yeah. water. Was it? It was is it, definitely perfected here. Yes, but uh, I don't know that the. Uh, again, I am uh, uh, ignorant of this, so please. How was it brought here? Well, it came mostly through the English. It's it's a very English. Well, because distilling, thing. making uh, mm-hmm. whiskey, definitely. Uh, matter of fact, it was well, uh, Scots and Irish. I would say more well, so yeah, than correct. the English. Because it's, it's not Scottish, it's Scottish. Especially in uh, Robert's home area with the miners and so forth, with yes. a high Scottish. And of course, it started out with moonshining there, basically, which is the unaged product that bourbon starts as. Yeah. Right. So actually, yeah, that, that's a great point uh, uh, that probably most people wouldn't even realize is that uh, bourbon before it's put in the barrels is clear. It is very much mm-hmm. right. It, is a shine kind of thing. Are, are clear yeah. and can be made from lots of grains. Right. So well, you, you have that going on all up and down, you know, the mm-hmm. eastern seaboard. Any place that grain will grow. Right. What's the easiest way to transport that grain when it's done? Distill it, put it in barrels and put it on a boat somewhere. And that's right. how this whole episode idea mm-hmm. started. Yeah, I was saying, well, back in the day, they grew all this grain and the easy transport. You couldn't just load up corn 
and keep it fresh and send it down to New Orleans on down on the flatboats. Mm-hmm. I right. mean, that was a major transportation way in this area in the spring when the rivers and these local smaller rivers would rise up and allow the boats to travel to get to mm-hmm. the Ohio. And right, yeah, Ohio, the, Mississippi, and on yeah, down to yeah, that wonderful city of New Orleans. Yeah. Right, because, you know, back in the day when we are talking about when all of this started, that was the preeminent export port. Mm-hmm. Right, yeah. uh, that's where you send everything from the U.S. back to Europe. Uh, if you weren't sending it from New York or Boston, from the Eastern Seaboard, yeah. right? Yeah, anywhere Charleston. from the interior, mm-hmm. especially, and of course, corn whiskey most likely probably is moving this direction from Pennsylvania. As a general rule, yeah, Pittsburgh is the hub. That's where the a lot of it, a lot of it started. That's where they yeah, go I mean, to Western to get to the western part. Is, yeah. is a is a place where corn was grown mm-hmm. more so than other crops. But yes, it's it's moving from the Carolinas. It's moving from yeah, and the waterways, they flow south. Yeah, absolutely. Right. New Orleans. This well, way. It's important to remember, too, folks, that, you know, bourbon is made 51% corn, as Robert stated. As a minimum. It can be more. A, it can be more, mm-hmm. but that's at least that. That's because bourbon predate does not predate uh, the discovery of America. Because that no. because corn was, uh, was here. Uh, it, it was unknown in Europe mm-hmm. until the Europeans came here. And this is one of the things mm-hmm. the Native Americans here – uh, gave to us a very corn. colorful Indian corn, which you see the multicolors that everybody right. recognizes. That's right. God bless the Native Americans for giving us maize. Yeah. That's so right. Because ultimately that's, have where we, that's how we were able to, over time, continue to refine and mm-hmm. figure things out. And uh, a lot of it uh, goes back to the 13 colonies is when mm-hmm. we started to industrialize a lot of this, which is, you know, that's a primitive form of industrialization, but it was very local. Marcus? I I do have a correction, apparently, for our initial uh, starting out as far as the vegetable goes. Yes. It is actually a fruit. It is a caryopsis, a single-seeded fruit. Corn, you mean? Corn is, where the seed pod and the flesh are tightly joined together. Okay. Okay. So it is indeed not a vegetable, but it can be classified as a grain. But botanically speaking, it's a fruit. Yes, there has been a lot of. Uh, in fact, I've been at uh, uh, exercises where uh, we'll we'll, we'll ta- all take positions on what is a corn, what is it? Mm-hmm. Is it a grain? Is it a fruit? Is it a vegetable? Etc. Cetera, Etc. Cetera. Is cereal a soup? Uh, well, that's it's exactly the same <laughs> argument. It's a yeah, tomato, tomato. tomato. Yeah, exactly. So that's kind of one of those. Yeah. Uh, it's it's complicated, as Travis Slattery would say. That's well, always yeah, the well, best well, way. Well, to well, we'll the, stick te- with the grain technical term would be caryopsis. All right, there you go. Yeah, corns uh, and vegetables, even though it's more uh, letters, vegetables easier to say. Yeah, yeah. Very much so. Yeah, but nevertheless, it's still it's still with the thing that that is the the, the is. essence, the kernel, dare I say, mm-hmm. of this entire process. Uh, uh, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. For kernel, the kernel pun. Oh, think you think that gets a word a, boner? You no, 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 no. Oh, oh, you gonna, oh, you made that. Oh, okay. Well. Agonizer. Oh, come on. The pun is the highest form of humor, gentlemen. It is the you know, lowest form of you know, humor. No, that's another agonizer. Uh, you're not supposed to agonize the captain, I, guys. I thought the it's lowest just, form of, of humor was just being a husband. Hmm. Oh, Lord. Skip a bit, brother. Let he us who would pun would pick a pocket. Yes, thank you, Dr. Maturin over there. But uh, anyway, you're going to get us off the subject here quickly, which is... Yes, because we are so good at staying on subject. You might as well just call us Rabbit Hole, which is the name of a very fine bourbon. Yes, that mm-hmm. is on our list of bourbons to try today, because we are uh, at Bourbon Fest. That is correct. Uh, we're, that's we're, why we're all down here. Yeah. I mean, we're down here to enjoy... Uh, Cajun's wonderful hospitality yes. here at... Uh, uh, at the ranch. At yes, the ranch. Exactly. Right. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, and we uh, this is the second day, as we record this, second day of the Bourbon Fest, so we spent one day doing a lot of it, and this is kind of a priming the pump in many ways for so much experience and uh, uh, to, to explain you know, just how great bourbon is as, as, mm-hmm. as so many things. But the history of it is somewhat um, – it's somewhat clear in many ways. Oh, clouded too. That's, yeah, yeah. that's right. Uh, yeah, nobody kind of knows where the you know using that name. Well, apparently really came from. Well, apparently the bourbon uh, name bourbon didn't start get associated uh, until later in the process, much right. later. Right. Right. Uh, so it's yeah, and it's just corn liquor. Yeah. Right. Whiskey is, is, is corn, a common it, bourbon. Whiskey. Yeah. Yes, yeah. it is a whiskey. Yeah. You know, all bourbon is whiskey, but not all whiskey is bourbon. That's mm-hmm. right. Exactly. And it's and it's spelt uh, W H. I S K E Y here and without a out an E uh, in Tennessee. So I've been heard. So I've been told. I believe it's without an E in Europe too, for the most part. That's correct. So there's uh, yes. the phrase whiskey. Scottish whiskey, yes. Scotch is K Y K Y. That's right. Without mm-hmm. the E. And then that stuff you get in Canada and Tennessee has the E in it. Well, right. you know, and that makes sense why we would call it then. Or you not you know. Well, you said no. You said Scotch has the e, right? Has no, no, e. no, no, has no e. Sorry, Irish yeah. whiskey and Scotch have no e. Generally, you spell it ky, okay. no e. So. Well, I guess it's fair to say it's starting out early. Like we say, it was a simple way to transport your corn product and something mm-hmm. more monetarily available. Yeah, it, and it, it wasn't until after the Revolutionary War that the feds had to step in and decided, hey, we can make money off this. Let's tax it. That's yes, exactly and then became a whole liquor. different animal than the person mm-hmm. doing it on their own and adding more structure to the system, I guess you well, could say. Well, yeah, it way. was an attempt to regulate it in many ways. Well, but. and, you know, I mean, let's face it. One thing that we didn't talk about, I think, in our uh, making a government episode on the revolution was that very quickly uh, those extreme libertarian uh, founders said, hey, you know what? This government thing's pretty good. We should start taxing shit. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, even though it took them a hundred, uh, you know, or almost one hundred and fifty years to get to the uh, income tax itself, uh, which is a uh, particular. Uh, well, that was banned initially. You know, yeah, it was. A, yeah, it was a pernicious animal mm-hmm. of that particular thing. But uh, shame to say that way. Yeah, I know a lot of a lot of things uh, change with regards to that. Nope, let's not rabbit hole too much here. Uh, we're trying to stick on the the history. But the, yeah, but it is a a major piece of this, though. Again, is yeah. whiskey rebellion. Again, that's Pennsylvania. It's an excise tax on corn liquor, mm-hmm. and right. and that's you know part of the history and part of. I mean, it's been combative between yeah. the individuals making it and the federal government, like you say. Oh those, yeah, this uh, tax prohibition. I mean, repealing mm-hmm. it. And, yeah, that. Uh, and it, and one of the things that's really interesting about this too is this is something that it was very an individual thing. These were these are. You know, you think about it, most of the country is individual farmers mm-hmm. making their own living, their own way. And they would partner with local distilleries, and they were all local at first. I mean, it was just mm-hmm. that's, that's, that's your neighbor that does that part, and everybody else grows. And you take it to him, sell it, and he sells it, blah, blah, blah. And it's just, just the general uh, expansion of trade. I mean, it's something that enabled the economy and people to better themselves because it's easier to sell your grain, as you said, Cajun, to the local distiller than it is to ship it somewhere. You know, everything is local at this point until right. you make it transportable. You can't put it on a train and send it to Chicago. Well, there ain't because there ain't no train. You know, there ain't in, no in Chicago. Yeah, that's well, that's that's true too. That's uh, yeah. <laughs> which, which, which I'm glad you said that too because you're right. The, the distilling goes back 
to the colonial days. I oh, mean, yeah. and it was something that was done in Maryland and Virginia, which is the pri- or the two primary feeders into Kentucky after the war. Yes. However, something magical happened here. And this is kind of where we we take this from everybody's doing this distilling thing and it becomes something very special because two things, one of which is probably the best is the water here in this holy ground in Kentucky. Mm-hmm. It's it is all, unique. It is unique. It is completely unique. And it is because of the limestone bed all through this area here. Mm-hmm. The climate is also a very mild and moderate. You have all, But you have all four seasons. Yes. And that's the key. And that's the key. That's the real key. Once you yeah. get, uh, Relatively and, mild and short winters. That's right. And, and very warm, humid summers. That's right. And you, you get and all of these draw the stuff out of the barrels. And right, which, I, which, I get, which well, kind of pushes, pushes it into the barrels and then draws it back out. Right. Mm-hmm. Which it's, is it's important because you've got to have both. Right. And all the pine, you know, because the pine, uh, charred pine is oak. essential. Oak. Oh, excuse me, pardon, did I say White pine? oak in particular. Did I say yes. pine? I, 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 I knew pine. better than that. I don't Not know head. <laughs> yeah. Very oh, well, no, well, another is. pun. That's right. Okay, yeah. Uh, yeah, charred oak. Have barrels. another. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> bend over here it comes. Okay, um, but you're right. The 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 trees themselves, which were abundant throughout here. That's well, yes, this state was literally edge to edge forest. Forest, forest. Yeah. exactly. Yeah. That's just the way old growth, old oak thick. forest. That's right. That's kind of the way the rolling hills of Kentucky are. I mean, uh, you get out west, it's a little bit flatter. But essentially, where we're at in the central Kentucky, north central, uh, it's it's all that. I mean, it was the happy hunting ground. Uh, there, no no Indian tribes were native to here. They all kind of came and went out of here because the wildlife is plentiful. Still is actually. Uh, uh, it was, and the the Indian tribes of this area were not particularly agrarian. They were more hunter gatherer styles. So that's why they made this the, the destination area. This was the this was the hunting resort for so long. Uh, but the wa- water was plentiful, and the limestone. It was just kind of like the magic came together. And when they started in the in the late 1700s, the distillers started coming around. We we kind of revere these guys now. Uh, in fact, we will talk about this when we get into the uh, the more modern era. So many of those brands that we know now go back to the distillers of the old days, and sometimes very far back. Yes, eighteen twenties in that. Well, that's I even mean, late, that, yeah. actually. Yeah. Uh, one of one of the brands that uh, that Barton's puts out is seventeen ninety two. That's one of the, that's one of the year they're marking for when they began doing things. Well, that's also the year that Kentucky became a state. I Correct. think it may have more to do with that than. No, that, but you're right. Some of the brands are are mm-hmm. their reference of very old people that are said to have been the first distiller or the first person to. Well, sell yeah, and most of those. And that's, many, that's Elijah Craig and Evan Williams and the Mythos. Yeah. 1783 on Evan yeah. Williams. Is yeah, right. That's right. And, that, and, that's, and I'm glad you mentioned that because 1783 is really the beginnings of when that people became coming here. That's that's when. Well, she, that's when the Revolutionary War was over. Right, and when you mm-hmm. could, uh, because most of the most of the settlers in this particular area, these there's three counties in particular here in Central Kentucky: Nelson County, which is kind of the largest in the central. You have Washington County to one side. You have Marion County slightly south. Uh, that's those. That was a, those were three. We call them the Holy Lands because that's where Catholicism started. Everybody that came here came from Maryland as Catholics. 
to escape persecution in many respects because after the war, all of a sudden the British are gone and those and uh, old hatreds uh, from the old country have started to resurface, religious hatreds. And Maryland, yes, well, it's not like the Brits were always very friendly to the Catholics either. That's correct, but at least the, the Catholics, Maryland was this, particularly the eastern shore of Maryland was where all the Catholics came to escape the crown and the persecution. Well, a lot of the Protestants came into Virginia, which is just across the Potomac. After the war's over, these old hatreds begin to come back again, and that's when uh, and feckin' Protestants. Oh, careful now, careful now. But uh, <laughs> we love our Protestant brothers and sisters. We uh, do. Yes, we do. Uh, nevertheless, that's when they realize that. Plus, there's opportunities west. This is where we talked about that a little bit in Manifest Destiny. You've got this ability all of a sudden to come over the Alleghenies, and a deal was struck by some. Uh, with many families, it's called the League of the League of Families in this southern area, eastern shore of Maryland, Prince George County, Charles County, Calvert mm-hmm. County. They all decided they were sold a bill of goods that why don't you come to Kentucky because the land is good there. It's open up now. Uh, it's 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 that's part of the war settlement. It's too, part of the is. war settlement. That's right. It's yes. Part so of, each state had to basically give up what whatever was west of a certain point. Right, so they basically said, you know, you can go out there and be there, and you don't have to worry about your neighbors anymore. And at the same time, um, people in New England are being told, hey, the Ohio, this Northwest Territory that we have now, yeah, that's available to you. So people are moving west, both south and north of the Ohio River, and it's a key piece of all of this. That's right. As those people move and begin to populate these areas. Yeah, because it's easy to get here by coming down the Ohio River. Right. That's you literally can. how that's done. Uh, and uh, that's, in in fact, the story is uh, still survive about how some, uh, you know, it was not all that safe at times. When, when uh, Basil Hayden and his group of 25, which is one of the two original settlements, the other went, uh, the other uh, came to Charles uh St. Charles uh, area in Marion County, uh, which is a little bit further south here, that was the other early one. The The main one that still is, it's in the Holy Cross, Kentucky, is the center point. Yeah. That's where they came. They literally came down the Ohio to the falls, because Louisville doesn't even exist yet, by the way, but you can't get but past. But it's the reason Louisville exists. Exactly, because you falls. really can't get past mm-hmm. the falls. You can get there, and then you've got a portage around the falls and continue to. Mm-hmm. To move on to the Mississippi, which is why they—that's uh, why they were sold this land out here. It was plentiful; nobody was here, uh, and they basically got off at Louisville and trekked. You know, which by car today is about forty-five minutes. <laughs> uh, it, it, was, it was a lot longer <laughs> yeah. uh, through no roads, uh, just a lot of uh, and no real waterways that would get you into this area easily. So it was they ported over land. They ended yeah, up they're probably a, lucky if they're making 10, 15 miles a day, yeah. depending on what they were traveling with coming through the wilderness. Yeah, they yeah especially you know, coming through the wilderness. You know, it, it's hard for us to imagine uh, what it would have been like for them because we have no real – especially those of us that uh, are in very settled areas, we, we just don't have any uh, understanding of how thick a real forest is. But there's a little bit of the round here because 
most of that forest still exists yes, here. But it doesn't go on for hundreds of miles. That's right. Exactly. There's no. there's roads. You know, they get you through. Yeah, that right. was restricted to game trails, buffalo trails, and so forth. Yeah, right. I mean, the buffaloes was the first road builders in this area that would come through in their massive herds and yeah. clear away. I mean, and the, the uh, and the geography here in in central Kentucky, Nelson County, Kentucky, it's very hilly. It's knobs is what we call them. And I mean, just sitting in, if you look out the uh, the doors and the windows of where we're at. There's knobs all around. I mean, it's very high elevation, and we're down in a valley, essentially. That's where a lot of this limestone water came from. Uh, the, and the, over, the, the folks that came down overland, they came to a place called Goodman's Fort, which is literally on the other side of New Haven, which is where we're at right now. Uh, in fact, when, you all, when uh, Robert and Marcus came in, uh, you passed by the marker that marks approximately oh, yes. where that was. Yes, I, yeah, it's been years since I read it, but I do remember yeah, that there's a marker there. That marker, which is approximate because they really don't know it's right. it doesn't stand, but that's where they would come to. Uh, and and they went over to Holy Cross, which is not that far from really where we're we're standing today. Uh, and they settled all around that. Uh, Holy Cross is the is the first catholic church west of the alleghenies and uh the original of course it was originally a log cabin that land was deeded to the catholic church here locally uh after the bishop uh bishop flaget was named as bishop of bargetown uh which was the largest diocese ever created that is correct because essentially it's anything west of the alleghenies yeah that's you and bargetown (laughs) because there was that's because catholics where they were west of the alleghenies and the appalachians that's right alleghenies are more Pennsylvania, but exactly. Yes. That's uh, that's where we're, that's where we're at here. And they had the unique modified being the Proto Cathedral, right? Oh, I'm getting there. You're exactly okay. right. That's uh, that stayed in Bargetown. That became the seat of it. That's a little bit later uh, because when we're coming in here, there's nothing. Uh, and they built Holy Cross Church, yeah. which yeah. was a log cabin. It, it, it's interesting to think that yeah, the, the diocese, the Bargetown predates Louisville. Oh, absolutely! Uh, you know, it's the seat of the diocese. So yeah, Bargetown became mm-hmm. that. Yeah, uh, but it didn't. Beca- it didn't become a diocese until 1808. Yeah, you know, and we've had you know that's 30 years or so after the first Catholics came here, and all they had were uh, uh, circuit priests. Father Stephen uh, Baden was one was the one who would literally ride around uh, this whole countryside on horseback and have mass. For these people in their homes, because that's all you had. Event, right. And it was shortly, and I cannot remember, I don't, uh, I don't remember the exact date, uh, but it was sometime uh, in the se- early 1790s, is when uh, Basil Hayden, who's a very important name as we know, he was the leader of this group of 25 that came to Holy Cross. He deeded, and you can go uh, into Bargetown, you can find the original deed, I've got a copy of it, it's very easy to see. He deeded the land to the church which became Holy Cross Church today. And you can go see the church. It's, it was rebuilt in the 1780s. Uh, no, excuse me, in the 1850s. The yeah. original, because yeah. the original church was, that's a log cabin. That's all you got in these days. Yeah. Uh, but there's a, there's a huge stone cross and a marker towards the back of the cemetery uh, where the original church stood. They built the other one. But the mm-hmm. cemetery is still there because that's what you do when you, know, when you have a church. You bury your, your, your dead around the church. Well, I mean, my great, 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 great grandfather, his stone still stands there. Uh, and it's, uh, he, he died in 1838, but, you know, he was, he was an old, old, old man. He was one of those original uh, families that came of that 25. I can trace to about 20 of them. So, Francis, uh, not to uh, 
because I always love listening to you talk about your family. I'm, uh, I'm trying not to get too much in that, yes. Yes. Uh, how does all of that re- relate to bourbon? <laughs> well, I mean, well it, because that's one of the things that you do when you get down here. They discovered fairly quickly that distilling corn is a way, as you said, to transport it and to make it. And they discovered very quickly that, wow, this can be very good. It can be very lucrative. We can mm-hmm. sell this via barrels. And they came up with the process. Uh, Basil Hayden, that original, this is where I'm tying that family back. Right, I was just trying to get you back on track there. That's all. all. Right. Basil Hayden, who was the leader of this group, is also a distiller. Right. And in fact, Jim Beam owns the brand today of Basil Hayden. It was actually the first brand of bourbon we really took off on. Well, he is not. A, he is a Catholic pioneer as well as a distiller. Uh, and the family is actually very rather famous and uh, rather prolific too. I mean, I, he is a direct ancestor of mine. Uh, he that, was one. That may make the family somewhat infamous, but all right. Yeah, well, it's interesting you say that. I'll give you a little side story that, uh, on a history of that. Basil Hayden, the original. I know. Yes, Don't he's he, Cage, Cage is <laughs> wagging his finger at Robert because he's he's let me he tell us. Open the door. I don't know what I was thinking. I, I, this is it's it's actually a rather funny story. Uh, it's kind of sad in many respects. Uh, Basil Hayden uh, that we talk about is actually known as Basil Hayden Senior. Because okay. he, he because the, there are three generations of Basil Haydens. Uh, the original, of course, is Basil Hayden Sr. that came down. He has a Basil Hayden son, Basil Hayden Jr., who has a son, Basil Hayden III. Basil Hayden III was known as the eccentric. He vowed, and this is, you're talking about 1860s here, he va- in 18, late, late 1850s, he vowed if Abraham Lincoln won the election in 1860, he would not leave his house and he would not cut his beard. And sure enough, that's exactly what happened. The distillery business that he and his family ran, he ran from his window of his home for the rest of his life. This explains a lot in your bloodline. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Doesn't it, though? You Uh, know, those who – well, if nothing else, I admire the man's convictions because he said something and he stuck to it. All those people who uh, declare that they will leave the country if so-and-so is elected on both sides, they never leave. Oh, yeah, he lacks the courage mm-hmm. of their convictions. Yes, uh, he was. He, like I said, that's why he's known as Basil Hayden the eccentric because he he was definitely that. Uh, eventually, that's just one family, though there were many other distilleries around. Yeah, there. another one to note: Elijah Craig. At that same mm-hmm. time, that is correct. Who was and part, myth? Yeah. Uh, uh, most people want to convert to him being the inventor of bourbon in the area. Of course, we've just established that's pretty much a myth, and it was also a tribute to him that he figured out using charred oak in his barrels. See, that's because he had a fire there, and he was such a tightwad. He said, "Use them anyway. Don't throw them out." Yeah. Well, that's kind of been busted on the line. Uh, it actually turns out it ended up being a tremendous marketing. Effect by the Elijah Craig brand. Right. To perpetrate this story, they mm-hmm. submitted it to newspapers. I forget the dates, but uh, when all this happened, it just kind of took off and it spread around the country. Yeah, and that's throughout various newspapers establishing this myth of Elijah Craig being the first and the first to use the charred oak. Charred oak. It was a lot harder to fact check things back then. Absolutely, yeah. it was. Yeah, and, and there were, and in many respects, Elijah Craig was Protestant, by the way. That Catholic-Protestant divide still persisted a little bit down here. But once everybody kind of got on the idea of, well, this bourbon business is pretty cool, and all of a sudden all that magic happens when it all comes together, This the charred oak barrels, the water here, uh, it, it really changed everything. 
uh, and uh, it became uh, an enormous industry uh, very quickly, although it stayed pretty local for a long time. Well, uh, you know, whiskey, uh, as we said, you know, scotch came here. Uh, uh, they, they brought the, or the Scots came here knowing how to do that. So the methods themselves are, are not new. No, the actual distillation no, part. This is that this came is nothing Europe. new. Yeah, that's that's not something the Indians developed. Right. It is, but what it what really it, it is the corn. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The water. Yes. Changing and the seasons. Yeah. Changing the grain to corn. Yes. That's what you could grow and what you'd have here. Yeah. And because in England it was all gin. They, you know, that's yeah. that's what they were doing because that's they didn't yeah. have anything other than that. So you know it's there's a lot of things that go into the origin of bourbon. Right. You know a lot of it mm-hmm. is. Uh, happenstance, but those three things are the key. And yeah, four the yeast strains. Well, yes, some of these master distillers went out and collected wild yeast strains, messing with them, and found mm-hmm. a particular one they liked and stuck with it. Which uh, when I toured the Beam Distillery, they they touched on that. The yeast strain was such a guarded secret. When the original founders was he was bringing it back and forth from home in a cooler, basically. He didn't. It was not left at the distillery for fear that something would happen or a fire would break out in those days. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, yes, as we know, fire is a very dangerous thing. There have been numerous fires. Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, Heaven Hill had a had a really nasty, one. massive conflagration. Massive, yeah. At- and speaking of that, that's probably about fourteen miles away from where we're sitting right now, and I could see the flames in the sky the night that. Yes, because this was Rick House caught on fire. Yeah, this was not that long ago. I mean, no. relatively speaking, but uh, thirty less, years, yeah, twenty-five years, I, I was somewhere say 20, in there, twenty-five years or so, and it was it was it was huge. Less than that, I think. Yeah, very much so. Yeah, I, I, maybe even only a decade, uh, but it was. I think it was more than a decade. Longer than a yeah. decade. Yeah. Uh, popped up on my Facebook feed a while back. Yeah, okay. and wasn't there a more recent one uh, in the last yes. five years? Yes, there was. Uh, oh, well, we've had everything from Rick House collapses to yes. fires. Yeah, because it's an yeah. it's a huge industry now all oh, over yeah. the yeah. world, and it, it all comes here. Was it Heaven Hill where all of the bourbon got into the uh, the local water uh, source? Water Green? source, right. yeah. No, that was up at Frankfurt. Frankfurt, Frankfurt. Okay. That was up at one of the Frankfurt distilleries. Buffalo, I don't think it was Buffalo Trace, uh, uh, but there's, there's, uh, it could have been. But now, when the Heaven Hill uh, Rick House burned, I mean, literally, it was rivers of fire going down into the streams around mm-hmm. that area, too. It's like we were in Cleveland in the 70s. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. when the, yeah. When the well, Cuyahoga we, caught on fire. Yeah, that's that's kind of that. What, yeah, it was for, it was a huge deal. Now, for being such a, Two a, fires in heaven, a religious center as, as yeah. we are here, uh, it's kind of interesting. Kentucky has been the home of a good majority of what we would consider traditional American vices. Tobacco. Amen, brother. Tobacco. Yeah. yeah. Uh, marijuana. Well, uh, yes. The best marijuana was always grown in Kentucky and southern Indiana. Uh, and uh, same soil as the corn. Same soil as the corn. Well, yeah, that's right. Uh, it's it's, it's uh, very prolific for that, yeah. Yeah. And yeah, and, and and to be and not to go off on a rabbit hole, but you know, it was marijuana was and probably still is an enormous cash crop in this very area the where we're lar- at. The largest cra- cash crop in Kentucky for many many years. Yeah, yeah. Our, uh, the Heaven Hill Fire was 1996, so it was about 28 years since yeah. that massive one happened. Okay. Yep. Yeah, that's right. I remember very well. 
Yeah, that was huge news uh, mm-hmm. the, yeah. for a long time. And, and Heaven Hill, I'll get, uh, as one of the major distillers, and, and Bargetown is still ground ground zero in many respects, but it's it's spread out. Frankfurt has a uh, you go up and down sixty four between Louisville and Lexington, and there's I mean how many? What eight? Uh, smaller and larger, you Easily. know. You can, Probably you know, more now. Exactly. Wild mm-hmm. Turkey yeah. is out there. Woodford is out there. Jephthah Creed is out there. Uh, Four uh, Roses. And those are just the Four ones roses. that you see right on yeah, 64. Those, yeah, those are the ones that you have assigned come yeah. tour us. Well, and, you know, the origin of those being on uh, uh, along that area, uh, it's very much similar to how uh, bourbon gets associated with the waterways. It's a way to travel. It's a defined mm-hmm. uh, shipping path, whether, you know, granted they weren't um, – uh, uh, highways, but you know, well, you it was for that time. Well, well not like we have well, now, is what I know. No. Yeah, no, but, but you know, there's a are, defined yeah. road that they can uh, move the bourbon. Well, mm-hmm. some of them, because some of these are only within the last you know 30, 40 years. Yes, there has been an explosion. Yeah, Jeff the oh, Creed oh, yeah. is practically brand new. Buffalo Trace is huge. Uh, Woodford is not that old. I, I'd hate to. I mean, you, well, you the distillery toured. that they are at. Is is a is pretty old. Yeah. The Woodford brand itself it, yeah. is not that old. And, yeah. and I'm glad you mentioned that because one of the things when we're talking about history of bourbon here, you cannot ignore the fact that by the time the 1880s, 90s, 19 teens, 20 and early 20s come along, this place is littered with distilleries, and many of them are teeny weeny small time mm-hmm. operations. Still, there's no conglomerates That's all across the state again, Owensboro area, and in Louisville, and out here. That's right, and in, mm-hmm. in lots of places. And like anything, over the years, names change, owners change. They get sold to a hedge fund. The hedge fund resells it. And but a lot of that's very. That's a little ahead of though, because most of what you're happening here in this time period is they're locally changing ownerships and yeah. things like that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And they have their own brands. And those brands, uh, and when we were down at the Fraser Museum, uh, we saw some of the yeah. old retired brands that we'd never heard of. Right. Because right. They, they literally, you know, they, they, they did. They named them after themselves. Mm-hmm. That's right. That's yeah. what Pappy is named for, is the fellow that ran yeah. that distillery. But Well, absolutely. You know, I mean, JTS uh, Brown and J.W. Dant and yeah, these mm-hmm. names... That's, you know, they all do mean something. It's not just made up. There's a mythos again around a lot of the names, but they are the genuine people who who, who started something there. Right. And a lot of times, sometimes the businesses would go under. Sometimes they'd get sold. But the plants, the physical plants, would often, if they were in large enough operation, they would get. You know, they're still around. Some of those, mm-hmm. uh, even and they would get picked up. And, they would get mm-hmm. and and the the Dant family is probably the most interesting, literally, because we're on the back side of it. Uh, that that was a very large operation post prohibition, which I'll we'll go back to get promote prohibition yeah. here in a minute. Uh, that was had several brands that went out, and we're, we're still trying to figure out exactly when that happened uh, in the in the late forties, early fifties. Uh, and because in my lifetime, that none of, that distillery back there, literally, it's not been operating. Yeah, it, it, that goes back. My memory goes back to the early seventies. Right until recently, when yeah. they restarted. Until, until right. Wally Dant. Right, because the Dant family yeah. sold their operation. Yeah, they closed. Lost the legal rights to use their name on bourbon. Yeah, they, well, they sold those. They sold that. Right. Was, I mean, mm-hmm. yeah. Whether you say it's sold or lost, whatever, they don't have the yes. the rights for it. That's Evan the, Hill bought the rights to the J.W. Dant brand, right. which so is that family. Now they are log still and make a very fine bourbon called Monk's Road, which is as we've I think we've talked about the reason it's called that is because literally. From where they stand, the the Arch Abbey of Gethsemane is about two miles, literally up the straight road. And locals like ourselves, me and Cajun, 
that's always been called Monk's Road. That's just where you go. It's the Monk's Road. Uh, and that's why they took that name here locally. Mm-hmm. All right. Speaking of bourbon, you know. Bourbon we have, break. We have a special treat this time, folks. And we want to thank Cajun again for uh, his uh, hospitality in providing the bourbon that we're drinking mm-hmm. here. Although uh, Martin deserves a little bit of credit for this one because he's the one that kind of figured He located out. the deal located and I closed yeah. it. Yeah, yeah, kind of a financial secondary way. market sort of deal here. Which is huge, huge. Picked up, uh, yeah. Picked up That's three, a whole other episode. Yeah. yeah. Three bottles of Blanton's, which is very difficult in this area to locate. It is one retail. of those. It is. I don't, I, don't, I don't know if I want to use the word super premium. Uh, I know there's a term for it, but it's one of those holy grails. It's like the Pappy Van Winkle. Just well, good. not to that extent. Not to that yeah. extent. Yeah. But no, shit. it gets a lot of Hollywood exposure, you well, see. Yeah. Yeah. Especially the John Wick movies for the most recent one I can top off my head, but I see it in many, many movies because the bottle was so unique. Yeah, exactly. Say, yeah, yeah, on top. Yeah, They've taken the, the the concept of, of makers where you, you make that bottle unique and you, you build your brand around mm-hmm. that. Yes. They've taken it to the next level. Yeah, is what they've done. Exactly. And it, it is a damn, damn fine bourbon, that's yeah. for sure. But and you know what? what? We're drinking today. It, it is a very good bourbon, but I noticed because I had some last night. Uh, mm-hmm. Cajun opened the bottle because uh, obviously, you know, the the whole point of this weekend. Want to let breathe it. a little, you know, before we got absolutely. Around to it today. Uh, <laughs> yeah. The whole point of the 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 bourbon side of this weekend is to help him go through some of his open bottles. That's right. Yeah, we and here I opened another one. What can and I? And here, here he goes and opens another one. Right. Yeah. We, we, um, you know, this was but a, we expected that one. Though. Yeah, we knew that after because you, you you acquired what you, you you already had one and you got Two. three more. Technically, I had three. Me and my uncle emptied one. Okay. And yeah, then okay. three more. At the moment, I have four unopened bottles plus the one we just opened. There have been quite a there have been a few. Recently, That's correct because that it's kind of thing. there's some questionable legal practices around yes. it. Yes. The actual practice itself is perfectly legal. Once you own it, you can now do what you want to. now yeah. now yes, at one that, point it was illegal to, to yeah. resell uh, to privately. Yes, yes. Kentucky yeah. had to you know pass a law allowing a secondary bourbon market. Yeah, yeah. and so individuals can resell uh, bourbon. Which has become but an investment. If, if you do it as a as a retailer, yes. you have to keep really good records of the secondary bourbon that you're buying yeah, off of people. So yes, it is. If you we, we've had a discover of a dusty old recently. yeah, there's been some arrests about this. Kiss that mic. Sorry, <laughs> there have been some raids lately. There have. Yeah. Yes, that's correct. Yeah. So uh, yeah, if you come across a dusty bottle in the mm-hmm. cupboard. Uh, you can resell that bottle. That's right. uh, if you sell it to a retailer, though, they are supposed to keep records of what they're doing. Right. So back to the to the Blantons here. Uh, tried it last night, uh, and th- the initial uh, uh, taste is is very good. This is a very smooth bourbon, mm-hmm. uh, good flavor. But one of the things I noticed last night, and I noticed uh, this morning, because uh, yes, we are day drinking, uh, is that. The ice really dilutes it quickly. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it's you know some of them the flavor really hangs around uh, for quite a while. Yeah. But I mean even the color gets diluted pretty quickly because we're yeah. using uh, Cajun's big balls. I mean his large spherical ice. Oh, very large. <laughs> and right. uh, so yeah, the yeah. ice lasts a long time. It yeah, takes it, a while, it takes to, a while really to melt. That's that's melt. an advantage I think to that, this approach. This is a bourbon that requires. I think is best with very small amounts of ice because it seems like it, uh, the, the water almost overpowers. I think uh, there's some truth to that. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It weakens it more than, more than many. It, right. It's, it's a, the proof on this. 
Oh, we didn't look. It's a light. I mean, yeah, it's not. Yeah, it's not like one of the one ten to one twenties that we occasionally have. No. Yeah, like the uh, which is the the prohibition yeah. style of O Forester, for example. Or ninety three. Yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah. So that is a lower. That's proof. a low proof. Yeah, that's right. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not. You know, it's low as some, but uh, right. It's it's an excellent. Uh, it's excellent when served neat as a sipping bourbon. Yeah. And I think that's kind of one of its charms. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. And one I of the think, things that we discovered. Like I say, light ice or neat would be the way to go mm-hmm. with this yeah, one. Yeah, very much so. For the most part, we've never really, uh, I've n- I don't think we've encountered that uh, as a big deal to where the ice uh, can overpower it, at least in the ones we've tried. Right. Uh, that's why I was a little surprised last night because, you know, we are not guzzlers. No, we like no. to, to sip and enjoy and our I bourbon. I think that leads to the, like you say, it's a sweeter, it's a lighter yes. note to it. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's, yeah. it's, uh, I, I dare to say it's almost like a dessert bourbon. You know, dessert oh, yeah, wine. Oh, I, like I like that. I like that. dessert bourbon. It's yeah. it's definitely a summer bourbon uh, for around here with the temperatures. Uh, it's a good porch sipping bourbon. Yeah, I mean, even heat. the watered down is still pretty good. Because you know what? If somebody said, "Hey, let's uh, let's sell this as flavored water," I'd buy that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. After you get it really diluted, I, I think this would be an excellent one a good for um, men or women, either one. But I'm going to lean more towards saying women that need to be introduced to a bourbon. This would be a good light bourbon with mm-hmm. the ice melting in that would not overpower their taste. That's to begin with. yes, yeah. uh, that's a good idea. I'll have to see if I can get my wife introduced to bourbon for, this way. For, right. For, yeah. for, now, uh, if you're going to pair Blanton's with a cigar. Uh, you want to stick with a, uh, I'd highly recommend, uh, some of the Macanudos, okay. uh, which are a milder, lighter cigar. See, that's interesting so you say that because, uh, the guy from Yellowstone yesterday yeah, was, was going the opposite. Exactly. Yeah, and a lot, a lot of people, out. a lot of people will, will say things like that. The problem you'll get is it will, like you're saying with the ice, it'll overpower this bourbon. Quite possibly. I do, uh, obviously, that's always going to depend on the cigar yeah, itself. But uh, yeah, any, anything like a Maduro or, or something like that, you're going to, to really quickly overpower the tastes of this bourbon. Uh, when you go with something like a, a good Dominican shade wrapped uh, uh, light cigar like a, a Monte Cristo, uh, it goes real well with it. So, Cajun, we had we had talked about when we set this up uh, doing a uh, bourbon with cigars at some point. Mm-hmm. Yes, we had. Uh, so, I presume we're going to do that this evening uh, when we come I back to record the third episode. I do have some cigars. I'm not sure what they would pair best with, but we can give. Well, it a I was pass. thinking that you know we yeah. could stop at uh, Cox's in town because uh, at least the ones in Louisville, they uh, they, they always have a, a good smoke selection. So I presume the one yeah. down here do that, don't they? We don't have one in Boston. No, no, yeah. I thought there was a uh, there was a Cox's here. No, there's no. not. But I, I, uh, Evergreen up there, they were talking about at the festival. One yeah. of the newest stores. I think they may have a selection. Okay, yeah, yeah, that's probably there. I'll have to try that one. No, yeah. But uh, getting back to the Blanton, does anybody pick up any particular notes they want to mention in this? I was going to say it's really nice and sweet. Martin mm-hmm. is is one of the best with it. Perhaps maybe a little chocolate. Yeah, yeah, that could be. Yeah, was one. Uh, it's one to smell. Oh, Please. yes, absolutely, sir. Thank you, sir. Sorry, I, I'm, I'm a sniffer. It goes with the nose. The nose, nose, mm-hmm. ladies and gentlemen. Any particular note you picked up? Uh, yeah, I, you know, 
I don't know if I'd say it was chocolate for me. You know that that it, it would be a really sweet. It milk is very chocolate. sweet. Uh, it's whether not it's like cacao type. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I I often will. Uh, my tongue very uh, because I drink a lot of stuff with caramel. I always pick up on that that caramel creamy aspects, and I think okay. there's some of that here, which you know can go in yeah. with the chocolate as well. Yep. Uh, they're similar it, it flavors. It does have a definite creamy aroma uh, yeah. to it. Um, um, it, it's got a, it, there's, it is not like some bourbons that have a really big kiss. Yeah. No, uh, no, 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 not at all. It's it very is, mild. It is very yeah, mild. I don't you get any fruit in this one here. Like no, in no. some, it, it, uh, well, other than the corn, according to say Marcus. that Francis, any other comments? Uh, you know, one of the things, and I, this is going to sound extremely weird. One of the things I tend to compare a lot of these bourbons to, uh, is her, is wild turkey. Uh, because that pear makes it one of my favorites, and it's very, as we've discussed, it makes that very noticeable yes. there. And it's kind of like that's yeah. how I wild turkey with that pear and vanilla. That's right, really comes through. It really does, and that's kind of my barometer when it goes to okay, is this fruity? Is that does it have that type of thing? And that's this doesn't have any of no. that. I, I like the uh... it's more grainy. No, uh, not about that. Not not in a bad way. I don't mean I don't mean texture wise. I mean that type of a. I like taste. the finish on this because it's it's more of the hug. Yeah. I, I'm getting the the very back of the the throat up yeah, high. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, yeah. 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 It, it, uh, all right. above the you, stomach. It reminds me of uh, a hint of crab apple. Okay. Now, not a regular I, apple, but a cra- that crab sure, apple. Sure. Yeah. Set. Yeah. That, 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 that tartness. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I'm, I don't. Well, I'm not getting any kind of that. Heartness there. No, no. I'm actually holding my bourbon Bible here, and it's a wonderful book. Um, It has a lot of bourbons listed, photograph of the bottle, gives Mm -hmm. a rundown on them, proof, so forth, what type of steel it was made in, and descriptions of flavor. That's important, too. One of these days, we'll have to talk more about that. Yeah. I I need to learn more first. Rundown on the flavor profile that they've got in here. Uh, Blanton's Originals, what we had, has a sweet nose of oak and fruit. Mm-hmm. Okay. Tropical pineapple plus a little lemon and blackberry is what they're saying. Really? See, I, okay. On top of the notes of almond and lemon shortbread. Uh, over time, oak uh, riches become more prominent along with flavors of juicy apple and mm-hmm. creamy marzipan. Yep. Or however you say that. Marzipan. marzipan. Yeah. There you go, marzipan. It's my almond. accent. More apple notes appear on the palate mm-hmm. and it grows more spiced in its flavor. Yeah, interesting. Sure. I did not so get most. That's, that's, that's where that's where I was feeling. Those and picked up maybe that, a few things. That crab apple. Yeah, that's that's all subjective. Yeah, well, I it know, is. but we need it you is. to pull that out every time that we do this. Yeah. So well, not we, everything's listed in here. I but, right. but when well, we, and I don't know that we want to embarrass ourselves too much. Well, we'll, we'll we will learn. I'm thinking. Uh, but I thought that was good with this more uh, higher quality yeah. bourbon. I like that you held on to that because you know. Knowing what to look for colors it does. your own impression. It does. Mm-hmm. That's, that's why, that's why I waited. Let everybody yes. so, yeah, I mean, very well. Almonds was very interesting. Yeah. That that makes a ton of sense. You know, a little sweetness of some apples. What kind of the bitterness almond, of the almond. Almond. Mm-hmm. And then uh, what, what was the other one? Uh, blackberries. Blackberry. A lemon touch in there. Um Definitely a lot of sweet, though. Yes. yes. Well, that's Very true. sweet. Yeah. I mean, that's I mean, the first sentence in the description. There's another thing that now that I think about it that I'm getting a, a, a slight hint of would be the the scent, since I'm not doing flavors, of uh, uh, a honeysuckle. 
I can see that. Yeah, I can yeah. see that. You're exactly it's right. Yeah. I can say it's very subjective to whoever's yeah. doing the tasting and so forth. I mean, there is no – well, there can be wrong answers. I won't go quite that far. But right. Very from person to person, that it can be do. a very wide range of well, what you pick up and what somebody else did, no matter what kind of professional exactly. tasting the nose they have. And one thing to remember – your taste buds are uh, whatever you're tasting now mm-hmm. are influenced by the last thing you ate and drank and how long oh, ago that was. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, and- so there's a lot of factors that go into what comes out mm-hmm. uh, when you taste something, yes. uh, which is one of the great things of why it's such a, a an art form of pairing different alcohols with foods mm-hmm. because foods can enhance or hurt oh, the yeah. flavor of what you're drinking. Now, of course, we had a big southern breakfast. Well, not quite a southern because we didn't have the gravy this morning. No, I didn't have gravy or grits this morning. Yeah. But, you know, it was pretty close to it, though. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, that smoked sausage uh, was pretty darn good. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, local steak sausage, local product. That's uh, right. Francis yeah. getting ready to say. But I go one step further, and I put it on my smoker. Yes, when that I was cook unique. It out. And it actually adds a little more spiciness to it a lot it of does. times. Mm-hmm. With yes. that real oaky flavor in there. Yeah, Jake sells all over the world. I mean, it literally, it's made in the 150 Quick Stop on Springfield Road just outside of Barstown. Uh, yet another one of our great treasures here in uh, Nelson County, Kentucky. That is true. All right, let's bring her back around to the history part. I think we kind of mm-hmm. well did our tasting pretty well there. I think so, too. Uh, one of our better ones. Uh, I, I do want to talk about just a little bit about Prohibition because it's kind of like that uh, – ultimate disruption of everything we the kind of sledgehammer that hit the mirror oh yeah absolutely that uh, yeah your image it was a devastating thing it really was a few very few but a few distillers were able to survive this brown foreman was one of them mm-hmm. because they were able to get exemptions for medicinal purposes I think that was medicinal six, purposes. six major distilleries i think during the war effort uh, yeah, yeah. I, uh National Distillers. Right. Mm-hmm. My grandfather, this is where my family history on my mother's side was the transportation manager at National Distillers in charge of all the rail cars going in and out of Kentucky hauling alcohol for the war effort. Yeah. So he was exempt from service for World War Two. Right. And that's and of course that's that's about a little less than ten years from when prohibition was repealed. Mm-hmm. But the industry it never took a while to recover. It, it took the yeah, exactly. That's my point. Is that it was such a devastating action. Those few major distillers that did survive, a lot of the little ones never recovered. That's mm-hmm. you know the J.W. Dant was is a good example because that my grandfather actually worked for them during the during the war because mm-hmm. uh, and the, and it was wasn't long after that they closed up shop completely. They just yeah. couldn't do it. I got a question for you because this is something that um, really should have thought about, but I hadn't really considered this until now. Uh, obviously, the employment in this area is heavily tied to bourbon. Absolutely, yes, it was. So, was there an exodus from Barstown, New Haven area to Louisville or anywhere else yes, there was. looking for jobs? Uh, well, uh, there was. Uh, GE was built by a lot of the folks out mm-hmm. here when it when that plant came on uh, uh, online, and this was in the fifties. Uh, well, I mean, so, during Prohibition, you know, prior because I mean, during that, yeah, because I mean, uh, that's obviously when. See, that's the problem is that's it's just prior to the Depression too. Most people out here were still tied to the land. They were mm-hmm. not. They they were able to sustain themselves by farming. Okay. Uh, this was ne- this was mm-hmm. not a type of thing. It wasn't very urbanized. Everything yeah. stayed right. rural out well, here. Still not urbanized. That's yeah. right. Yeah, exactly. So it's not something like you were. De- you needed that job. 
or you were destitute. No, you owned your own land out here. Mm-hmm. You owned your own place. There's not a lot of renting out here. There never was. Although there was some of that. You know, some sharecropping. Sharecropping. Well, mostly it was farm hands that you would have mm-hmm. if you didn't own it. You worked on local farms. But that still continued. Uh, you well, just uh, – you're, you're selling the product – Right, I mean, not I understand distilleries anymore. Uh, right, I understand no. that distillers are not going to have you know like a thousand employees. Right, because they're so they're all small. You know, they're, they're they're all small. Well, yes, at this time they would they would have been small, but here, the, here, the here processes the you know yeah. are not. Uh, uh, you know, depending on what part you're talking about, there's not a lot of labor. I mean, obviously, when you're moving the barrels and you're doing that part, that's going to be fairly labor intensive, especially yeah. well, back then. Once you once you reach but, a certain size, there was more. But of that. It's it's not hundreds of people working. Uh, no, on a line, like and a lot of well, what, when you get into the bottling and everything, there mm-hmm. was quite a few. There's more well, than you're thinking. Well, uh, later uh, on, yeah, that, uh, later stage. Uh, how much, and that leads to the next question: How much of the bottling was done here? Because oh. originally, you know, bourbon was done by the barrel, by the barrel and sent yeah. off. Yeah, once the bottles became a thing, absolutely. I mean, uh, uh, the the Barton Distillery, for example, where my mother worked in Barstown. I mean, that's what they did. I mean, they were the bottling operation was there, mm-hmm. and uh, in most of the distilleries, Heaven Hill was that way. Uh, most of the locals around here, they all had their own bottling operation that went worldwide. Okay, see, you're that's talking, a... but you're talking '60s, '70s, '80s, yeah. and beyond, where a lot of that happened. Uh, uh, there's a great tendency here as those as time went on, post World War II in the '50s affluence, a lot of folks would relocate to the southern area of Louisville, Fern mm-hmm. Creek, where I live, uh, J-Town, Butchel, things like that, because the GE plant was there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that was an enormous, uh, basically a ground change for well, what that's, everything. I mean, well, that happened everywhere. You know, and people with truck plants. Or truck plants, too. That's people so, in Kentucky went to – I mean, that's how oh, yeah. I came about. My parents uh, independently – Moved to Michigan right. for jobs in the factories in the fifties, and that's well, no. similar here. And then, yeah, but ironically, most of the folks here they would uh, they would relocate to that southern area of of Jefferson County now, which is very very built up now. But it was all uh, farmlands there, yeah. so they bought they 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 kept those farms as well as their factory jobs, mm-hmm. which no, was a, which was unique because you could do that. Uh, it wasn't something that you could do. Uh, when you uh, those people that lived downtown, uh, who basically you lived in these shotgun houses, and there's reasons for that, tax reasons and stuff like that. All that industrial area that was huge. Well, now one of the things that you had happen a lot during the Prohibition era, as far as these farmers, a lot of them converted over to tobacco, correct, or marijuana. Now. Marijuana, its popularity ended up being shipped out of here up to the major cities. And you'll hear that a lot in the songs during the blues eras, era. They'd call them the vipers. The, the, there's, that's where they would be smoking marijuana. And the export from here was huge. Like I, like I was mentioning earlier, it was for decades the number one cash crop here. Yeah, it took over in place of moonshine. It took over in place of the moonshine. Yeah, in many respects, the moonshine started that whole illegal underground economy. So then what happened was you had marijuana outlawed in 38. Uh, Tobacco started to have more of a prevalence here. Brown Foreman took up with 
with tobacco. Uh, and Phil, well, Philip Morris Philip was Morris there, and uh, Brian Williamson, and, and Brian Williams, few, all of these. Reynolds, yeah. And, Reynolds, yeah, they were uh, huge. Then here recently, tobacco has gone out of favor. Right. But the bourbon has come back. Mm-hmm. But ironically, those exemptions that we were talking about for booze out here right. are coming back to this state in the form of our medical marijuana exemption that they're advertising here, which started in 2025, which will be right. Allegedly in 2025. They haven't quite got all the bugs worked out on that. I like that. We have now a resident marijuana historian in the emperor here. (laughs) Oh, well, he has a good base of knowledge. Let's just put it that way. More more than the rest of us. Hold up. No, no, more than the rest of us. I, my, I'm not my, my, my family, however, is in the legal, as my wife would call it, weed business, which is the hemp and right. CBD and, and THC and all that. But also we've got a, a – I mean my our, – our farm, for example. Our farm, for example, is on East Whiskey Run Road because of the, the moonshiners. Yeah, uh, it's in southern Indiana. In southern Indiana. And there are a number of things like that here too. Yeah. Um, oh yeah. Moonshining and and evading the revenuers <laughs> is a Kentucky tradition. It is, and, and it, it is still alive these days. It is. I it mean, is, I yeah. know people making moonshine right now. Mm-hmm. And going back during Prohibition time, I had a great uncle on my father's side that used to run moonshine from Highestown, Kentucky, just up above us, out of those mm-hmm. hollows, into Louisville every day of the week on a weekly basis. Oh yeah, and, absolutely. There was there was a and, lot of that went on out through here. And yeah. like I, I think I mentioned in the show prep, my grandfather and his brother owned a general mm-hmm. store in the twenties. Uh, in Little New Hope, Kentucky, just literally over the hills from where we're at. And they sold all the product to Mm -hmm. the moonshiners. And literally my grandfather, who was unmarried at the time uh, because he was younger, uh, made a huge fortune Mm -hmm. uh, in in that business. And that's also the start of this is where you get those cars are the basis for NASCAR. It was. And racing here in the United States. Because they learned, you know, you got to be able to outrun them revenues. Yep. And they had the knowledge of the back roads to do it in the right vehicle. That's right. Yep. Right. Well, and, you know, that all that distilling knowledge had to be used somewhere. Yeah. So That's right. um, I found in really interesting uh, uh, piece. You know, we talked about the uh, uh, all the different functions or uh, pieces of uh, the process that went into making bourbon so unique and why mm-hmm. Kentucky's the uh, – yes, legally, you can make bourbon anywhere. Uh, the either. best legally <laughs> yeah. listen Blasphemy. dude listen I know, I know legally you can make it anywhere but true bourbon aficionados know the best bourbon mm-hmm. worthy of the name is made in kentucky right well, you know, I, I think there's some good products being made elsewhere i didn't, learning. I didn't learning. say they weren't good um but you know all those factors that go into the state, you know, the, the water, the climate, all of those things, it's very difficult to find a place where you can replicate that. Now, that is true. Mm-hmm. So right. We have advantages nobody yeah. else has. Right. I, I don't want to put anybody off that might be a future sponsor if they hadn't been right. Indiana, I, or Tennessee, Ohio, or wherever, you know. Texas, Colorado, Nevada. <laughs> we'll take anybody's it, it really money. Are. I mean, there's... Well, it's, you know. it's kind of, it's, <laughs> I do like the fact that you're pointing out, though, they're just different based on where you're at, where it's mm-hmm. made. Right. And, and that's true for different. almost yeah. anything you make that yeah. has oh, such yeah. a subjective uh, aspect because to it. it is because there's so, so many different things that go into it. It's so mm-hmm. tied to climate 
Uh, no, the mash bill. Even my bourbon seeds surrounding us is different than the ones in Indiana. Exactly. Oh, how? Due to soil and weather conditions. I exactly. Mean, the it even goes back use. to the beginning. Yeah. Right. So there's an interesting experiment that um, Jefferson's Bourbon did in 2016. <sighs> the voyage. Yes. Yeah. And I find this to be fascinating. So bourbon initially, as we talked about, was transported by river mm-hmm. on the barges. And so, uh, you know, now everything's bottled on site and shipped off. So he did an experiment where he replicated the original uh, waterway transport, took barrels, Which, yeah, they, put it on right. a barge. You would, you would start at Louisville, basically, mm-hmm. yeah. uh, and, and float down the Ohio and float down the Mississippi to New Orleans. Right. Ship. He sent two barrels uh, on, a, uh, on, on a barge and then sent two more to uh, uh, New York City. And first down the Ohio, and then along the intercoastal highway. Uh, and then it brought the uh, same batch of the whiskey that remained in Louisville during the same period. So he compared stuff that stayed here mm-hmm. versus what was transported. What was transported on the waterways apparently was like an order of magnitude better than what stayed mm-hmm. uh, here in Louisville. Uh, it was uh, molecularly different. They actually analyzed the two samples down to the molecular level. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, popular mechanics documented the test. So this is all very scientific. And the sample that made the waterborne journey was mature beyond its age, richer with new flavors of tobacco, vanilla, caramel, and honey. It was some of the best bourbon any of us had ever drunk. Now, again, that's a very subjective statement. But it's done by experts who know what they're talking about. Mm -hmm. Uh, It was theorized that the action of the gentle sloshing of the whiskey in barrels for a period of two to four weeks during the barge trip led to a dramatic improvement in smoothness and taste. And chemical analysis of the two samples revealed significant differences in their profiles. Well, just basically, you think uh, that kind of makes sense. The constant agitation right. and movement kept mm-hmm. it from settling in the sediment where in the rickhouses, when they move them around and change position and stuff, but you're having it constant in this. It right. makes it smoother. Right. So you can imagine that the original product leaving New Orleans is probably considerably different or was than what we consume today. Right, mm-hmm. right. Now, so. it's not necessarily to say that that automatically made it better because there's, again, so many factors go into making it And as we know, a lot of it was highly adulterated as it made its journeys. Yes, the, the farther mm-hmm. along the journey it got, the more adulterated that was, that's it was. That's the origin of the bottled and bond idea yes. of where mm-hmm. the government's that, yeah. insuring, and this is, becomes the 1880s, basically, 1890s, where it takes off is the idea that the government says this is bourbon now. Right. And because it was, as you said, it was very adulterated. The farther out west you got, you'd be lucky if you got anything uh, mm-hmm. of the original stuff by the time you got out there. Right, yeah. And, and 1897 is the old Forrester bottle and bond um, year that they, they, they made theirs. And the place. distilleries were behind this. Oh, yeah. They, it was yes. their idea. It wasn't oh, yeah. something they Well, yes, because they're putting their name on those by at yeah. this point. So it's very much a quality issue for them and a, and yeah. a brand mm-hmm. issue. So this is – I think you need to note how much further this experiment went, though, not uh, just on the river travel. Oceans, 11. Yes. I mean, yeah. o- Jefferson's, Jefferson's Ocean. ocean. Yeah. So, so, yes, the, uh, it has been taken to a uh, – I think uh, Jefferson's Ocean was done before the, uh, the experiment. But, yes, they have experimented with – doing the aging in different places. And, of course, mm-hmm. we're talk- there's plenty of different uh, barrels that's uh, aged in a second time, uh, cognac barrels and so forth. 
uh, wine barrels. The latest voyage is around the tropical equator right now. That's going to be released here. Who's doing anytime. that? Uh, Jefferson. Oh, they're doing okay. Yes, they're, they're starting to vary their voyages on the ocean now, according to latitude and longitude, to see how much difference that makes too. Right, and I'm sure it will. Um, the I, I think that the the motion is probably the most important aspect. Mm-hmm. Supposedly, the stuff aged on the ocean uh, does have a distinct flavor. Uh, I have tried it. Yeah, um, you know, I mean, it, it didn't stand out as anything um, super uh, exciting to me. It wasn't a bad bourbon at all. Don't get me wrong. I'm curious. Did you notice any saltiness to it where it might have picked up from being on the ocean? I mean, you'd have to think them oak barrels would ha- absorb some of the saltiness. I'm out sure of the it did. It's been many years since I've tried yeah, it. Yeah, we had a bottle we tried. That was a did while we? ago. Yeah, we did. Because yeah. I only remember having it at the rectory. Yeah, no, we had we had a Jefferson's Ocean once, and you guys didn't like it that much. Yeah, like I said, it's not one that was... It was, uh, it was gifted to me, and uh, I want to say that you, both of you guys panned it. Yeah, and, correctly. you know, now, it'd be interesting to go back yeah, and see... We, we've learned a lot since then. Did, we, earlier one. did mm-hmm. we have it neat? Did we have it on the rocks? How did we... You know, it's one of the things that that when we uh, when we talk when we do our project, where we talked about recently about cutting out the uh, the, the bourbon breaks for a, for another project, and we need to catalog all the bourbons that we've tried and how we have tried them. Uh, Very much so. Yeah. We really need to to uh, I think uh, get a real analysis going of what we've done, because there are some bourbons I think we need to revisit and try differently than how we did originally. And there's so many that we haven't mm-hmm. even bothered to try. Right. And I mean, just we, like you know, the ice is not necessarily a good thing with this Blanton's, a, very, right. a large amount of it. So right. even yeah. varying to the point of try it straight first, a small and a taster, mm-hmm. and then try some over ice. And, right. When um, I have Divide it up between two and two. Exactly. When I have bourbon, I try, even when I drop the ice cube in or the ice ball, uh, I try to take a sip immediately uh, so that I can get a, a, a baseline. And the baseline for this was very good, this Blanton's. It, uh, it was a great baseline uh, immediately. That's why it's one of the few bourbons where I would have very, very few problems with taking straight, uh, having a neat uh, glass of this. Because in general, I, I just love the way the, the ice and the water uh, caused the bourbon to bloom. Uh, this doesn't have a lot of room to bloom because it's already a good profile. Yeah, right. Yeah. True, very true. Uh, and that's unusual. Now, whereas there are some that are almost undrinkable without uh, without that. Uh, Jim Beam Black, Martin had a, uh, a very visceral response to uh, <laughs> as a neat bourbon. Uh, but after, because I had had it on, on the rocks, and after we swapped, we both agreed with the other's position. Yeah, this is definitely you know, not neat uh, on the rocks for that. Yeah, old Forrester Prohibition style was kind of that way. We all three of us loved it, absolutely loved it. But it was so potent because it's, you know, right up 120 proof. Yeah. It was just we're, we were doing ourselves a disservice by not blooming it with some ice. We well, and, that out. you know, at that proof, that's definitely a sip in bourbon. <laughs> well, absolutely. I mean, because we, we went through a little bit of it, and I had it neat that first time. And, man, I had a headache for a day uh, after that one. It, it was just, yeah. wow. It kicked you in the drawers, huh? Uh, somewhere, yeah. <laughs> uh, but, uh, yeah, the bourbon industry around here, I can think back to when I was 18 out of high school, and everybody just about around here applied to try to get into the distilleries to work. Oh, and, I imagine, yeah. And, I mean, it was a massive waiting list for them to even get down to you once you got your name on a list. I mean, we're looking at years amount of time mm-hmm. in a lot of cases, unless, of course, you knew somebody. Sure. That's true. Yeah. Well, and most and most of the distilleries around here, the actual labor, it's all unionized. 
So it's just it's sure. not that different than the auto industry uh, or uh, or GE or these other places. So you were you were very secure. My father worked. right once you get in at one of these places, yep. unless you screw up. That's correct. You know, well, I mean, that's how my father made his living. I mean, was because he worked for the Seagram plant literally across the river uh, in Athertonville, Kentucky. Uh, that's how that's what put me through college because they had a scholarship program through there, and half of New Haven worked at that plant. Uh, my father and anybody in, in uh, anybody those ages. Uh, and this was through the 70s. The, act, the plant actually uh, caught fire, and it didn't burn down, but it did burn in, like, 74. So the, they ended up closing operations. My father was beside himself because he'd worked there from the 50s and 60s and always through halfway through the 70s. And they moved the uh, – they, but they, they didn't fire anybody. They just made them all go to Lawrenceburg because they had another plant up there, ah. which is just up uh, – the, the Bluegrass Parkway it was a toll road in those days. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they would all go in shifts in, in a big carpool, and that's where they would work. And then that lasted, it wasn't that long, five or six years. Uh, I do remember one story my father told about uh, how they w- it was a toll road in those days, and whoever was driving, you know, they'd take turns, had to pay the toll. And it was in coins, usually. And there's one gentleman, I won't give his name, because for all I know, uh, he's still around, but he couldn't see. And they were going up for the midnight shift one time, and he had a bag of pennies, <laughs> pennies for like fifty cent toll. He's got he's got it in pennies. He it can't see. He throws toward to the automatic bucket to take it so they can keep going, and he misses. Oh! So you've got five big adults in the dark, crawling around on the 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 pavement, trying to pick up all these pennies so they can get past the toll and not be late to work. So. Uh, that went on for a long, long time. And, and, no cell phones to use for flashlights. Oh, no, 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 nothing like that. So, you know, this is just, you know, we want to talk about a comedy of errors. Gosh, God. the guy's name was Shorty, I can tell you that. And, uh, yeah, it was just, you know, that's just what you did. Uh, eventually, that that whole process stopped. Uh, the Athenville plant out there got sold off. Uh, my father stayed. They, they kept it around a long time, and Daddy was in was a senior man in the union out there. He was actually a steward. Mm-hmm. Uh, for, oh, that's a good job. Yeah, well, nobody else would do it. Because <laughs> yeah. uh, shop stewards. Well, yeah, basically yeah. he's the guy that whenever you had to apply for any benefits, they came to him. Mm-hmm. So we right. had people, well, yeah, he's your advocate. He's your advocate. So yeah, he's that, the first level. So we had people come by the house all the time. You know, they're getting their checks because they're you know off on sick leave or right, you know, different right. stuff, whatever the heck that. Yeah, was. there's a grievance. You got to go to your steward. That's all right. That. Well, he, he did that. God bless him. He uh, he had a uh, he he did a lot of good work for a lot of good sure. people for that. Interesting point, though, about the sequence plant you're talking about. It's located in a what was a dry county for years. That's I right, mean, yeah. It just went, went wet in the recent past. That's right. Uh, that's, I, Didn't that have something to do with them not reopening that after the fire because taxes was going to be so much higher out than that I, being a dry that, county, I heard? That might be the case. I don't know that. I didn't recall hearing that. I mean, as a kid when that happened. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, But they, they, they did maintain it for many years because through the 80s, because my dad was one of the senior guys they needed somebody to stick around and work out there to make sure you know the place didn't burn down again uh what was left of it so daddy actually worked out there for a very long time five or six seven years uh you know as a a union worker uh it was him and one other guy that whoever were the most uh most senior guys did that i really they sold the plant yeah i really like this is super cool we've really talked history of bourbon through the lens 
of this local area. Yeah, mm-hmm. it is. Yeah, mostly but, through Francis's family. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but that's okay. I mean, it's it's, it's terrific. But we, I, we should have known that when we said Francis could do the captain. <laughs> but I wasn't signed up to do this. Cajun. I volunteered him. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, for that reason though, yeah. to yeah, get exactly. that personal. Oh yeah. View of it. Well, and that that's what makes interesting. You know, is that personal touch. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. But there are a couple of bigger questions that okay. I'm wondering about. And maybe you guys know, or maybe we, we could research real quick while we talk. Yeah. But, you know, again, the name bourbon is kind of this, why did it end up called that? It's, it's sort of speculative. Yeah, there's a lot Nobody of different really knows for sure. stories. I mean, certainly it probably has something to do with the bourbon yeah, the French, the French well, Royal. yes, the, the New Orleans, too, being Bourbon Street, where a lot of this ended up in a party area. Right, right. well, and it, one thing it is related to the dynasty some way, whether yeah. it's... Well, yeah. I mean, well, until 1803, that's a French possession. That's where it's going anyway. Well, well and, and, you know, Bourbon County uh, here, originally in, 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 you know, as part of Virginia, is named after the, the dynasty. Right. So it definitely has that tie. But the question is, you know, geographically here, where does it come from? And yeah. there's a lot of stories. You know, Why? some of it say, well, it's Bourbon County. No. Well, eh. Bourbon County was Much divided later, up yeah. into, because it was one of the largest, because uh, one of the original yeah. counties. And it was mm-hmm. subdivided very quickly. And when, uh, I found this interesting uh, when I was doing my reading, uh, when it would go to the port to get onto the to the, uh, the flatboats and the barges, uh, often, uh, you know, the area was called Old Bourbon. Uh, all of the counties surround that was uh, yeah. So, so what is it, that, that was the point on of my origin. boat? Yeah, well, this is it's corn liquor from old, old bourbon. bourbon. So right. that's honestly, bourbon. I think that's probably the most credible. Yeah, uh, that ending up down on Bourbon Street and all. I'd say it probably came the same name probably came from several different sources. To be honest about it, if I had to make a guess, probably, and they, and they are somewhat related. Yes, one of those things where there are several different ways. That mm-hmm. this product, right? This mm-hmm. name because the name bourbon. bourbon was so prominent in several areas yeah. where it was made, where it ended up, where right. it was shipped. Yeah, because Louisville's named after. A, I was going to say, I'll make sure. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, there, there's you know, a that, that there's French a French influence pie. at this time, and some of that's mm-hmm. Thomas Jefferson uh, and that Frank connection. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was very much that, and is like, and uh, you, you know, you've got the Revolution, which has just happened. We owe a lot in our minds at the time to the French and yeah. their interv- yes. interventions. Mm-hmm. So there's a, there's a affinity that we have for the French kings, which at the time when this was coming up, yeah, so it's just right pr- prior to the revolution over there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah, the it would know, be very natural that's to correct. give this product that you're very proud of. And a royal name, a royal name, right? And the easy one. To, certainly, you wouldn't name it Hanover. Uh, no, right. <laughs> or you know, or Windsor, but you uh, would yeah. name it. Well, Windsor comes much later. Yeah, bourbon. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but, uh, yeah I yeah, anything that sticks that pokes a, a stick in the eye of George the Third. Everybody's up for that. Yeah, absolutely, yes. Yeah. I like the personally. I like the uh, the point of origin with old bourbon being stamped on the barrels as being the most likely. Yeah, point you of got to give them flatboat fellows a shout out of the past. They were some tough SOPs yes. moving yes. them things. Yes. Up. That was a dangerous job. They floated downstream. They had to pull it back upstream for most of it. Yes. I mean, that was unless it got a little wind once in a while. They yeah. they actually had some primitive sails they could unfurl to help. Right, them it's not out, like you can. That was rare. Do a full full rigging like you would on a on a. Ship, well, yeah, I was yes. tough men. Yeah, Lincoln did it. I mean, and that's it, that's how. Yes, he... you had to be strong. You had to be you had to be tough because it was yeah. a dangerous job. 
Well, yeah, because you know, a lot of people would want to steal it. Very much so. Right. Well, oh, yeah. Yeah. Avery, pirates, pirates on the river. I mean, it was a thing. Yeah, Not river pirates. the ocean. Um, so, my yeah, point. Yeah, you had one more point. Yeah, my uh, other question was. So, we can, so we, we can wrap this up. So, we get to New Orleans with this stuff. Who's buying it? What Were we reselling it on our own coast, or did it make it to Europe? Both. Most of it yeah. was local, though. Mm-hmm. Most yeah. of the sales were local. It's just they didn't want to – They didn't. it wasn't quite big enough to go international at this point. That's too expensive. Uh, there's. Is, did it happen? Sure. But all up and down the East Coast is but where it's, most it's of this happens. To think. We would think well, of, well, if I've got the product in Kentucky and I want to get it to Boston or yeah, that's South right. Carolina for people to drink, yep. I'm going to go overland. But no, no it's you really well, good. No, no. You, you no. Not. Transport so you, you it was no to do it effectively. Yeah, because you don't do this by wagon. There's no right. Those barrels would have would have broken open before you gone mm-hmm. well, 100 you, miles. Well, right. getting through the forest. I mean, there was over the mountain. Why? Yeah, over the mountain. Exactly. That's right. Yeah. Well, so I mean, you, it's irony that you're saying we're going down around uh, and around the horn, so to speak. Yeah, you have to go all the way. The long way to get there. Well, come back. Well, and it was still probably faster. Yeah. Yeah. Very much so. Much so. One of the things, though, it's one of the reasons Vicksburg was so important during the Civil War, well, yeah, is because it was a blockage for yeah. that all that traffic. Yep. One Go of, ahead, Marcus. Bourbon. One of the, you know, one of the things that you can't uh, pull out or, or take away from or separate from the bourbon itself is the mystique, the mythos behind it. Mm-hmm. Uh, just like a lot of Kentucky. Mm-hmm. Everything from Daniel Boone and the settlement of this state right. to everything is uh, myth and lore and writing. Uh, we're looking at uh, during Prohibition and the, yep. in well during twenties, thirties. Uh, you're looking at things like F. Scott Fitzgerald, uh, The Great Gatsby, all of these things, and adding on to that lore which is part of what entrenched bur- Kentucky bourbon, Kentucky tobacco into the wealthy yeah, aristocracy. It, yes, it becomes East part Coast. of the consciousness of wealthy uh, yeah. East Coasters. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, and, uh, I'll, and, uh, and yeah, ahead. well, I was just going to say, you know, Robert. bourbon, uh, like many drinks, has had its ups and downs as far as that prestige. Oh, yeah. Uh, we've talked about before on the show how, uh, when we've talked about bourbon, uh, you know, growing up, bourbon was not the drink of choice in movies and television shows. It was it was scotch. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Maybe some... Uh, and a clear tooth for a while there, too. Yeah. Right, and, and so forth. Exactly. Uh, martinis mm-hmm. uh, was, was a big thing. Shaken, not stirred. And, you know, now it has become, it is the go-to drink... Uh, for prestige or whatever in, in, oh, yeah. in those and, things. And the bourbon industry has certainly contributed a lot to that. Yes. It's oh, yeah. uh, hard to do that. But the, product, the marketing, the, the yep. product placement, all of that stuff, it, it takes mm-hmm. effort. Uh, we talked about Maker's Mark as being kind of one of the, those gold standards, at least as far as marketing, yeah. The marketing, yeah. 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 They, they yeah. took everybody else to school. Uh, and yeah, there was a time it was you, genius. you couldn't pick up a magazine. Almost any magazine without mm-hmm. a Maker's Mark ad. And all you need about the see, red wax. That's all you need to see is that red wax, and all of a sudden they've done it. Yeah, and they uh, sued Evan Williams when Evan Williams started putting black wax on their single barrels and so forth, saying, no, this is our thing, but that didn't hold up. <laughs> yeah, that's not something you can prevent. Right. You know. yeah, yeah, as long as they don't do red wax. Right. They if can't it had been do red, red, 
They, they, anybody they, else needs a different color. Yeah. But I can clearly see the writing on the wall. We will need a part two on this going from prohibition mm-hmm. to modern day. Oh, absolutely. Oh, yes. Absolutely. It's time when fav- bourbon fell out of favor and so well, forth and when it came back because it's just not enough time. Well, yeah, because just the modern discussion alone yeah. is just everything. I mean, you know, it's I, so different. La- uh, I, these don't necessarily have to be the last couple of points, but. Uh, well, one of the things that, that, that really struck out when. We were here at the the Bourbon Festival down here in Bardstown, Kentucky, uh, yesterday. And that was we went to, there was just one small section of it that was isolated off that was for the smaller distilleries. Oh, that's right. The yeah, the, the craft section is the what they called it. The craft section. And there was. 30, 40, didn't they? Oh, no. They, well, the no. sign said 50 plus. 50 plus? Okay. Uh, okay. And I, I wouldn't doubt that. that. They oh, yeah. Were, yeah, we, yeah, we didn't get to near all of them. Oh, yeah, no. It's they a were, part of the industry to begin training oh, yeah. people to do craft. Oh, I'm mm-hmm. glad you brought up and that. Not, yeah, because I want to talk about And not that just quick. do uh, big places, yeah. Yeah. which were all big, surrounding the right. craft area. They yes. had their, the big ones had their own yeah, section. The big places yeah. are not interested in crushing the small ones. Yeah, right. They want the small ones out there. Well, it, it and there's there's. The market program. is so big. Yeah, there's, there's room for all of them. Yeah, there's programs and things. Again, the idea is to try to make mm-hmm. Kentucky like Napa. Yeah, Napa and, for wine and Kentucky for bourbon. They want servers and they want people in the hospitality industry to know something about bourbon. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes. So they can serve. There are a number of bourbon specific. Uh, restaurants and, and drinking establishments. Oh yes, uh, the bourbon that, trail here. No, I, no, not, not but, just that. I mean, that's many, that's but, yeah. around the but distillery. I mean, but I mean real like if you go to Louisville, to there learn. there are mm-hmm. uh, you know bourbon bars, bourbon like the you know cigar bars. Oh yeah, uh, you know yeah. there are places that are specifically uh, designed around that, knowing your bourbon. Yeah, uh, it's interesting you mentioned that about the the craft and how they they like that, and I, that, I think that kind of ties into a couple of things I was interested in talking about yeah. real quick. Because I was just we're, say we're, we're getting we're going to give Robert the hammer the last mm-hmm. the last word here. Oh, it doesn't necessarily have to be the last word, but oh, but close. Um, one thing I found very uh, fascinating by what Cajun said about uh, the waiting list to get jobs in the, the industry. Mm-hmm. Um, it, what that speaks to is not just that it was a good paying job. Yeah. Yeah. So, but it, it's, it's kind of a prestigious job. It was considered mm-hmm. that in this area. Yes. Yeah. It was. Yeah. You yeah. know, that's For a blue collar job. It was the pinnacle. Exactly. Yeah. It's a blue collar job that has, comes with a high level of prestige and for a job that is uh, unionized, uh, one of the highest skill level required, you know, beyond the moving the, the, the grunt labor of moving bourbon barrels and, and things like that. But when you get into the, the, the making part of things, uh, that's a very oh, – yeah. you have to have and knowledge. And still is, I would say, to be yeah. there, really. Master yeah. distillers, yeah. which every, every, bur- every distilling yeah. operation has them are held in the highest of prestige. Yeah. And, and a shout-out to the women master distillers now that are appearing because legally mm-hmm. they could not be one in years past. I really? mean, it hasn't no, been all that long. Know, no. Yeah, that was They a, could not legally be a master distiller. Wow. Women couldn't. That, we were a little mm-hmm. backward in that. We finally fixed it, it sounds like. That is shocking because uh, why would – you would think – well. The only way reason you have laws like that is somebody tried to do it. So I'm presuming that's how that started. Probably so. Well, the, assessment. It, because it was held in such prestige, it was one of those things that they they those in power over it did not want to share. Yes, mm-hmm. I, I'm sure there was a, probably that's, a similar law that uh, at the time they would have used the term like uh, no colored uh, allowed to be 
master distillers? Good question. Don't know if it came up, mm-hmm. but you know, it, yeah, well, it's not like there's a whole lot of them uh, uh, that you know in this particular area well, necessarily. To be honest, it is such an artistic uh, position. It really is. It's very much an art. Mm-hmm. Yes, now, it's got a lot of science in it, but it was very it, much an well, art. It's an art and a skill and a skill. Uh, and in a know. family, it's often handed down. Twenty fifteen yes. yeah. was the year that Kentucky named its first female master distiller. Yep. 2015, so not all that long ago, less than 10 years. Yeah, and and, and as you're, Martin was saying, you know, part of that's uh, uh, who becomes a master distiller is a family issue. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, because they own it. Now, yeah. you know, it was, conglomerates, that's a little bit different. Right, and that's right. something we but, can talk about in the right. modern Again, history. When you talk about mm-hmm. the Beam family or Heaven Hill, these family-owned operations, yeah. uh, they're keeping that master distiller in the family, Russell family. With yeah, and that's an interesting point because, you know, where the families are still involved, even when they're owned by conglomerates, they keep that connection. Yeah, oh, right. yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, yeah, because that's important. Yeah, they, they do not have to advertise the fact that a J- Japan conglomerate owns a distillery over here to too much extent. <laughs> right. I mean, it's right. public mm-hmm. record, but they're not advertising that we own Jim Beam now. Right. That's kind right. of staying in the background. They're smart on that. Yeah. Well, yeah, because they realize the local color and the local character is part of what makes it so good. Mm-hmm. You can't lose that. You can't. Yeah, it's part of the mystique. That's right. You, yeah. yeah, because it is, as I said, it's it's an art, yeah. very much so that uses science for its own business. Mm-hmm. All right. So, we, hail the Bourbon Empire. Hail the Bourbon hail Empire. Hail to the Bourbon Empire. All right. Let's let's. So uh, does that put us to what's next, Francis? Yes, we are going to have a code of honor next time around. You know, we've retooled this a little bit. Uh, with five of us on here, we we quickly came to the understanding. Let's just pick one really good one, and we'll let the whoever's hosting the captain captain it and pick it and we're going to use a humorist next time that cajun has picked out josh billings uh he is not well known but he should be and this man was very very amazingly astute and we've got a really He's great temporary of twain and there's a lot of that similarity there very mm-hmm. much so yeah and we're gonna we're gonna chew swallow and digest one of his most famous quotes on our next episode so make sure you're here it'll be great We hope you enjoyed another pointless discussion of eternal questions. Remember, new episodes drop every second and fourth Friday at 6 a.m. Eastern, just in time for your morning commute. And every fifth Friday, we drop a special Hoopajube episode. Spread the word we are on all the major platforms and leave us a review. That helps others find us. We're also on Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube, as well as our website, snakesandotters.com. Join us next time. Same snake time, same otter channel. <laughs>